Dear fellow redeemed, the text for our meditation this morning is from the 119th Psalm, the second to last stanza, verses 161 through 168. Please rise. Princes pursue me causelessly, but my heart is in awe of your words. I rejoice over your sayings as one who finds abundant plunder. Deception I hate and abhor, your law I love. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous judgments. Peace abundant is for those who love your law, and there is nothing that makes them stumble. I hope for your salvation, Lord, and your commandments I perform. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them keenly. I keep your regulations and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of our Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Someone recently reminded me that when we read God's Word, we should remember what we're doing. The Bible isn't just a reference text to give us facts and information. Instead, when we read the Bible, we encounter God. That's a thought to make a person really tremble if we take it seriously. The word is truth. It is power. It is glory. The power and the glory are hidden in very small and very hated things, even a cross, things that no one would think to look for. This word says in one place, yes, Jews ask for signs, Greeks desire wisdom, But we preach Christ crucified, which is offensive to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, nothing about the word of God or about our whole lives makes sense apart from the cross of Christ. And that's where the truth of God stands, despite all attacks and all arguments against it. In this stanza of Psalm 119, the second to last stanza, each line begins with the letter shin, which which makes the S or SH sound. Now, Jewish rabbis would take this letter with their hands in a familiar shape, seemingly to represent a word that mentions the, the glory of God. And that shape of the letter shin, you could make with your hands by doing this. We might be familiar with that gesture accompanied with the words, live long and prosper. The irony is that our lives come out of death, and our prosperity comes out of poverty and humility. With our lives framed by and founded on the cross, we understand that God's truth overturns all lies. And that means that it fulfills all that our lives mean, and it fills our lives with joy. And it also means that it grounds us in confident peace. It's Jesus going to the cross who truly says this first line, Princes pursue me causelessly, but my heart is in awe of your words. When he suffered the anguish of hell's open mouth in the Garden of Gethsemane while he anxiously looked ahead to his suffering, he knew 
the pain that he was going to face, but he also confidently said to his father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus' heart was in awe of God's words, which had laid such a plan. And even there he could also say, I rejoice over your sayings as one who finds abundant plunder. This combination of awe and joy is something that's worthy of closer meditation. Awe, that word awe, really means fear, dread, actually. And that twin emotion of dread and joy perfectly describes Jesus in the shadow of his cross. And therefore, that twin emotion also describes each one of us in the shadow of his cross. We teach this in catechism class. The first commandment, you shall have no other God, means we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We're not going to sanitize what that means. What it means to fear God, what does it mean to encounter God? Look at the examples in Scripture. Every time God appeared to a sinful human being, Adam or Moses or Paul or John, that human being couldn't help but bury his face in the dirt. We know our sin. We know it because of the light of God. God is light, said St. John. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him but still walk in darkness, we are lying and do not put the truth into practice. But if we walk in the light, just as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So think of the light that God's word shines on your own sins. God's word demands that we kneel before him in awe, in dread. Like King David, we plead, There is no health in my flesh because of your rage. There is no wellness in my bones because of my sin, because my guilt has gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, it is too heavy for me. My wounds stink and ooze because of my folly. I am drooping. I am completely bent over. All day long I go around mourning. Even my back burns with pain. My whole body is unhealthy. I have become numb. I am totally crushed. But at the same time, that joy is there as well. Because we know God's promise of healing and forgiveness. Remove my sin with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed celebrate. Hide your face from my sins. Erase all my guilty deeds. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew an unwavering spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. And that twin emotion, that dread and that joy, is summarized in the day that is going to come, foretold by the prophet Malachi. Look, the day is coming, burning like a blast furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. The day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord of armies. 
a day that will not leave behind a root or branch for them. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise and there will be healing in its wings. You will go out and jump around like calves from the stall. This twin emotion of dread and joy is not an emotion that we owe to the world. We owe the world neither our fear nor our joy. Because we're healed in Christ, purged of sin by his cross and our baptism, those princes do pursue us causelessly. We don't have to be afraid of them. And we don't join our joy to them either. Instead, we fear God, and our joy is in God. Because in him and in his word we have found that abundant plunder. It's as sharp as the distinction between truth and lies. Deception I hate and abhor, your law I love. Why might someone choose to believe a lie? Religion gets accused of this by many people, and it's called a fairy tale for children. Just something that we believe because it sounds nice. It's a sweet lie. It gives us some sense of peace and comfort, something to distract us from the really scary reality. That's why lies are chosen very often. It's because we prefer to believe the lie. We want that lie because that lie makes us happier than the truth does. But the problem is, it's just not true. This led Martin Luther to say, Therefore, happy is the sadness of the faithful, which has such joy with it. And unhappy is the joy of the unbelievers, which has such sadness with it. So any deception, while it might make us feel good, ends in sadness. And the truth may cause us fear, such as the knowledge of our sin that God is angry with, but it's also joyful, because he has also provided the solution to that sin in his Son and in his cross. Believing the truth over the lie is really us letting go of control. I don't want to be the judge anymore. Because while I might choose to believe something that makes me happy, it won't be a real lasting happiness. Instead, the psalm says, Seven times I a day I praise you for your righteous judgments. Now sometimes this seven times a day has been interpreted literally. The monks of Luther's day would pray actually seven times per day, every three hours and they kept very close track of that. Muslims also have a practice of praying exactly five times a day, one of the pillars of their religion by which they think that they are made worthy before God. Now, For us, there's nothing wrong with a pious practice of devotion, choosing a number of times a day to specifically set aside to pray to God, but it's not a law. It's not something by which we make ourselves righteous. Instead, it's, with its symbolism, it's meant for our comfort. Seven is the number of completeness in the Bible. And here it means that our whole life is transformed when we are converted so that our whole being is wrapped up in the praise of God. Seven times a day really means all day. Non-stop. It fulfills what St. Paul says, pray without ceasing. And a Christian does this literally, not 
by working so hard to make sure that we have worthy prayers to offer, or by setting a timer to make sure I'm praying at this time or that time, but it's by our lives. God's grace and faith, which He gives to us according to His judgments, change us. This occurred in the cross, where He judged His own Son guilty for all of our sins. And it happened in our baptism, in which the cross covers us as He judges us righteous. The result is that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. We don't come up with the good works to do to make our lives pleasing before God. Instead, because our lives are pleasing before God, our whole lives are changed by God, He makes us holy and righteous and causes us to simply live in those good works. We see how the one who has the word in faith therefore has this abundant plunder, a great secret treasure and peace abundant, the peace of God which passes all understanding because such a person is different from the world. Yes, Jews ask for signs, Greeks desire wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified which is offensive to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The worldly poke through this word as they would poke through a pile of garbage, looking for perhaps something nice to pick out of it, something to repurpose, maybe something valuable was thrown out. But believers know that this word is all a magnificent treasure of life. It's an encounter with the living God. And here, in this word, he forgives us all our sins. This is what grounds us in this confident peace. While the worldly stumble over God's word, the faithful don't, despite any trouble that we face. Peace abundant is for those who love your law, and there is nothing that makes them stumble. See, we're walking on this path like Israel, walking between the walls of water in the Red Sea. It seems terrifying. At any moment, we might drown. Those walls might come down crashing upon us and killing us. Or we might be overtaken by those princes who pursue us causelessly. But that word, that promise of God, gives us confident peace that looks forward instead. I hope for your salvation, Lord, and your commandments I perform. Here again is that paradox of Christian life. We confess our sin, and yet we also claim that we do what is right. How can we be both sinners and those who do right? The cross is what makes that difference. In the cross, we are coated with the righteousness of Christ. And we're given the power to do exactly what God commands ourselves. And this is because of our hope. We don't have that eternal life, that glory, that eternal joy yet. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Indeed, it was for this hope we were saved. This is the hope that Jesus encourages us to have as these days wax late, as wars and rumors of wars grow worse, and as the events of the world continue to terrify us. He says, but when all these things begin to happen, 
Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. And St. Paul also speaks of the Christian life in these last days. Do not just pretend to love others. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another with brotherly love. Think of others as deserving more honor than yourselves. Do not be lagging behind in zeal, but be fervent in spirit as you continue to serve the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Endure trials patiently. Persist in prayer. And the point of all of this is that the Christian life is founded on something more certain. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them keenly. Within our souls, within our very beings, we hold tight to the promises that God has spoken. And these promises all come to their culmination in the cross of Christ. On my heart imprint thine image, we sing in a well-beloved hymn. Through baptism and through the Lord's Supper and through the very word of God that you hear spoken to you, Jesus' image is placed on your hearts. The cross covers your souls. And we're made by that cross, by that faith, we're made to love this because that cross means our life. So as we look to the end, the last days, we face it confidently. Whatever comes upon us between now and then, we know where we are going to be. We know what God has promised to us. And we know that it is ours because Jesus covers our hearts through His Word and sacraments. This gives us strength to endure all of those trials, to persist in that prayer, and to love one another genuinely. So we can honestly claim, I keep your regulations and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. We follow the plan that God has laid and His regulations and He guides for our lives, the track that He has promised for our eternal life. We follow it not under our own strength, but under the power of Jesus. And we grow and grow in good works. The more good we do, the more good we do. There's an additional paradox presented in the letter to the Hebrews. By only one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. Now this says, perfection is already done. Jesus has made perfect forever. But also that sanctification, or being made holy, is an ongoing process. We are being sanctified. Using theological terms, this is justification and sanctification. By the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the whole world is justified, or declared righteous and perfect. All are justified because all sins are paid for. And this becomes ours. You and I are justified because of our baptism, because of the word and sacrament, because of our faith. When God sees you, he sees the holiness of Jesus. But sanctification is still ongoing in this life. We'll never be done with that until we reach heaven. The Holy Spirit is still working in us the good works that we will perform as God has laid them out before us. And the more He causes us to do those good works, the more we will do those good works. 
God has prepared this for us beforehand and through those good works and through also the ongoing work that he does in us through his word, forgiving our sins again and again, God is also preparing how cruciform or cross-shaped our lives are going to be. He's molding us like clay to be made in the image of his son. His hands are shaping us. And that might be uncomfortable, even painful at times, but it ends with us being made in the image of Jesus for everlasting life and glory. In God's word, we encounter God. We're able to hear him, to see him, to touch and to taste him. God has made himself present for us in no other way than in the cross. Our flesh doesn't like this. Our sinful flesh wants something nicer, something less offensive, something that will make us more friends. But thank God that he doesn't give us such a sanitized and meaningless, happy-go-lucky religion. He gives us life. He gives us truth. And that's only found in the intersection of the cross beams of Christ. Here, life comes out of death and truth comes out of lies against all those lies. And so here in that cross is true and lasting joy for our whole lives, both now and in eternity. And here is the peace and confidence in the forgiveness won by Jesus on that cross. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to everlasting life. Amen.